bam, Yang Gang, Zane. Oh yeah, so what we're talking about is his program. We want to get into the specifics of it. Um, Wait, who are you? What are we talking about? Oh shoot. Uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Zane Bally. I'm that guy who writes on stuff and things. Um, you've heard uh, me talk in past podcasts, and I'm really excited to talk about this. So I've done a little research. Um, Andrew Yang is someone who's been pushing universal basic income. Uh, some past proponents have been Martin Luther King, uh, M- Milton Friedman, uh, and some uh, other big supporters. Uh, the reason why this is important is I like Andrew Yang because he only talks facts. He's very policy heavy. He's not uh, too focused on ideology, which is important, uh, but it has really dominated politics these past couple of years. But we're going to get into why UBI is a, one, a realistic thing and uh, why Andrew Yang is pushing it. He said it himself that he, even if he does not win the bid as a Democratic, Democratic nominee, he would want it to uh, be a central issue discussed. Uh, so if anything, we're going to talk about how this uh, program, UBI, is going to uh, be important and necessary for the coming technological changes for the U.S. in the next uh, 11 years. So what is UBI? I uh, went on to Yang's website and just looked it up. The policy is everyone in America 18, year, 18 years or older would be able to get $1,000 a month. That is with no conditions, unconditionally. Um, and what that would mean is for those already for, uh, on existing welfare programs, they would have to choose between uh, the 1000 a month or a, um, a scale that basically, let's say you were getting food stamps that totaled 300 uh, a month, it would be scaled back to 700 from UBI. But anyways, uh, that wait, kind so, of... Wait, how, how would that work? So it's, uh, uh, you, you have two options. Um, to get in UBI, you get 1000 a month, unconditionally, if you're 18 years or older. But if you are taking something from uh, additional... There you go. Uh, from additional, well, oh my bad. Additional welfare programs, say $300 a month uh, on food stamps, that doesn't mean you'd get the 1000 You'd have to choose between that or whatever welfare uh, you're receiving. So that's, um, I want to point that out right away because people think, oh no, this is just another welfare system. No, this would, this would be to replace it. It would allow people to use that $1,000 cash towards uh, the rent towards groceries. It would give them freedom, as Yang argues, to go find jobs and not be living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so any questions on that so far? Yeah. Has this ever been tried before? Yes, actually. And here in the U.S. Um, in here Alaska. Here in the U.S. Here in the U.S. In Alaska. Uh, deep red state. It's been doing, they've been doing this for 40 years. And Yang is suggesting that UBI be tied to technology, meaning our economic growth in the technology sector over the next decade or so. Uh, They tied it in Alaska to oil. The governor uh, at the time said, hey, do you want uh, um, this oil money to be spent by the government for you or do you want two to three thousand dollars in your own pocket and you choose how to spend it? And everyone said, all of a sudden said, yeah, we like that. Uh, Give us the money because I mean, there is a really good conservative argument, and I, even as a liberal, I'd argue that uh, the government <laughs> is bad with telling you how to spend your money, uh, and I think it should give you, I think it's a strong argument to give the American people uh, a, a lump sum that they can do as they please 
uh, and I think that would promote um, trickle-up economics. Uh, you're, you're going to spend that money uh, on your local food store, your local businesses, uh, whatever it would be. Uh, I've heard a common criticism that, yeah, maybe some people will spend this on drugs, uh, alcohol, uh, smokes, what, what have you, uh, illegal market. I don't see that as, uh, while that might happen, most people are really living paycheck to paycheck and if they can pay for the necessities and uh, I think that will be able, be very helpful. And they were gonna spend that money anyways mm -hmm. on drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned linking it to technology as Yang's main idea. How does that, how does that work? Um, yeah, what do you mean by linking it to technology? All right, uh, well I'm gonna jump ahead a little. Um, what he'd do, there are basically four ways uh, we're going to pay for UBI. Um, through value-added tax, so what he'd do is he'd attach that value-added tax to um, uh, specifically technology products. So, so for Amazon, it might be uh, they have a bunch of third-party, I don't know much, but I know enough to know how they operate. They might have, let's say, consultants working on a specific software aspect they want to improve for their services. Let's I, I actually know a little bit about this. So basically, yeah. uh, every time uh, a person produces a product, every single stage in which that product is being produced, mm -hmm. they're going to put a tax on that. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, I have a Monster Energy drink can in my hand. Mm -hmm. And um, so say, like, what are the different ingredients that are used to make this? Okay, there's the metal, mm -hmm. there's the paint mm -hmm. on the sides, there is the drink itself. Mm -hmm. So um, they get these all from different companies. Mm -hmm. So every single time that it, each... Monster Energy drink can is made, they will um, tax whoever made that trade. So mm -hmm. in total, the val like the price of this Monster Energy drink will increase. Mm -hmm. That's how value-added tax is, uh, that's how it works. Yeah, it charges at each stage. I had them. So it's gonna be simple. a lot more expensive. So if, like one argument against the universal basic income is that prices will, will go up. Prices will go up, i.e. inflation. Mm -hmm. How much so? Is it damning inflation where the money we're using is not going to be able to scale to that inflation? Well, inflation certainly is on the low end these days. Mm -hmm. So certainly with the current economic conditions, it doesn't seem like it would be a very bad thing. But consider you know, future economic conditions, and especially with our national debt to consider. I mean, don't you think that might be a potential problem that could be faced by universal basic income? Uh, I do think so, and even Yang acknowledges this. Uh, he points out that um, some products uh, would be increased, uh, um, but some are untouchable. For example, housing, um, insurance, health care. Water. Uh, all, some, some basic necessities. Uh, the point being that uh, we'll, ha we'll have generated enough revenue. Uh, so there are many ways UBI, uh, this, trickle, this idea of trickle up, um, economics uh, will actually make more money. Uh, they say that it'll make in the eight-year term. Uh, I have it written down somewhere here. Uh, new revenue is it 2.5 trillion in eight years and create 4.6 million jobs. So uh, wow. Where how many of those jobs though in, in that amount of time will be gone due to AI? Um, he predicts so the two most common jobs actually yeah we should have started there uh, are, are retail trucking. and trucking, trucking. Yeah. yes so like uh, what's it like one percent of the U.S. population is in trucking um, right uh, well I mean yes but we're a country of three hundred thirty million we, it's still the most common it's still uh, where the are you most going with that so I was going to say that 
Um, well, I was listening to the Joe Rogan po- <laughs> to yeah. the Joe Rogan podcast sure, uh, sure. with Andrew Yang in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that about one percent of the U.S. population are truckers, right? Mm-hmm. And then about three times that amount, so like three more percent, so four percent total, are are involved within the trucking business. Mm-hmm. So that's like the truck stop, pe- the people who work mm-hmm. at the gas station, people mm-hmm. who work at truck stop, people who work at motels. Mm-hmm. All of these people together, they uh, if the truckers were to suddenly lose their jobs and you have AI trucks, like trucks operated by artificial intelligence or right. uh, trucks operated by machines, where are all these people going to go? You're going to have f- like 4% more unemployment. And then yeah. and you're going to have a very disgruntled population of people. And that's yeah. part of the fear of automation. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that I give Yang a lot of credit for touching on that. Yeah. Obviously, um, you know, that's problematic, but I, I'm, wor- I'm worried about this linkage. So he says it'll create 4.6 million jobs. I'm curious as to how that would work. You're saying that if people get money, this universal basic income every month, then they'll be encouraged to automatically get a job? So he talks in terms of the productivity you'll gain. You're not going to um, be burdened by the worry from paycheck to paycheck. And people will start doing things that aren't necessarily valued. Uh, they even, might even be undervalued, so maybe an artist's work. Like mother care. Uh, maybe, um, yeah, um, being uh, a caregiver. Uh, what else? Uh, he also, does, wait, wait, being a caregiver? As in working as a caregiver? Or no, 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 like being a mom. Like, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. Being a, a mom. mom's work is not valued by a G, it's not represented by GDP. The GDP, yeah. Right? So, uh, but I think, uh, Tom, your question was, uh, how does giving people money directly contribute to an increase in employment. Sure. Right? So you take these really small towns, like most of the U.S. lives in small, I don't know how many, actually, a lot of the U.S., mm-hmm. a lot of American citizens live in small towns, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, when they get money, they spend it where? They spend it in their local area. Mm-hmm. They spend it on Amazon, of course, they spend it in like Walmart, but they mm-hmm. spend it on local businesses as well. Mm-hmm. When these local businesses get money, um, they're better off, right? And they're, mm-hmm. they want to expand. They want to be able to sell more of their own products. So he makes an argument that it's small business will get a boon because services and other um, businesses that were previously undervalued, now that people can be more creative, and we just still don't know what jobs are, new jobs, new types of jobs are being created every day. Like if you could think about a software consultant 60 years, years ago, mm-hmm. no, not nothing whatsoever. Automation uh, will strip us of a lot of useful jobs, but he pointed out like vocational um, jobs tech, like, so tech jobs are, are going to be expanding. Oh, that, that absolutely. Clear. Wait, but you, you guys want to focus on how this money will actually create jobs? Let me just finish that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm I, still a little bit hazy on that. I think he actually, Yang doesn't outline um, uh, I, I, what I, I'm, exactly. I'm about to outline it. All right, go for it. <laughs> all right, go for it. Yeah, so when, when all these small little uh, towns get a lot of influx of money, people want to spend money on these little small little businesses. Mm-hmm. These small little businesses, they want to expand, of course. Mm-hmm. In order to expand, they want to produce more, like produce more, for example, like a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, you, now you have so many customers, they all want food, for example. So now you need to hire more people, mm-hmm. i.e. more jobs. Mm-hmm. That's how you get more so jobs. So this will champion small businesses. This will not only champion small businesses, but um, large businesses as well. Because like the, the, the largest businesses today are, uh, or sorry, when these small businesses get a lot of revenue, they're able to uh, purchase goods that they need from larger businesses as well. Mm-hmm. For example, like Oracle, like software stuff, like a small business now, it wants, it's getting so much customers and stuff, they're getting so much revenue that they want to expand now. Mm-hmm. Um, now they want to get software stuff. They want to be able to have like a, like a type in menu. 
-hmm. for example, where do they get this type in menu from? They get it from Oracle, mm -hmm. a software development company. So now you have uh, bigger corporations are being um, are being benefited by, by this as well. Well, sure, but isn't one of those main small businesses that will expand retail, and isn't retail one of those sectors that automation is increasingly creeping up on? So, I mean, what wouldn't that ultimately lead to just a dead end in terms of the expansion offering jobs to people simply because automation is going to replace a lot of the retail jobs? Well, the well, automation's, automation of the retail business is going to happen regardless. Okay, that's not under Yang's control. No, it's not. Sure. Right. So what this is going to do is stimulate job growth in other markets. Which ones? So, for example, who is making the software to replace the retail people? Uh, I would say that... So, like, the Oracle, the software developers, right? Right. So you're saying that it would be the software developers that would be getting more money and that would be expanding and hiring more people. Yes. But here's the thing with that. Software development requires a significant amount of education. I mean, aren't we running into the same problem here where you're just kind of telling a, a trucker who's been unemployed or a retail person who's been unemployed to just learn to code? Uh, no, because... Well, that's going to happen anyway, yeah, though. Uh, but first, I mean, quickly on that point, you... Yang pointed out that government retraining programs are they absolute don't failures. Absolute so, trash. And, we're, and we're I would apply that, that logic to what you just said. I I don't think we're the the market's going to try to retrain people who obviously cannot. They're constrained by their circumstance. But to Yang's point, I mean, there's we're still big service uh, sector. I mean, we sure. we like to eat, and uh, there's entertainment, and we're one of the biggest. We consume eighty percent the Pareto principle. <laughs> 80% of the world's products. And yep. uh, while I, we, it would require more research, I'm sure there's a good amount of jobs that will be needed uh, to in, in the coming days as we face new and evolving problems. So what's your question? Well, I, I'm just being sure I can, I can get this clear. So what you're saying then is that those people who will be out of a job for however long that may be where they need to learn to code or learn to adapt they're going to be supported essentially by this universal basic income to the extent where you're not going to be able to stop people from being displaced, but while they're displaced, they're going to have a source of money that will allow them to survive. Is well, that what yeah. you're saying? You and it's, you but it's not the solution. It's not it's the solution the because foundation. you can't survive off of $12,000 a year. Oh, no, you can't. No, no father can support a family off mm -hmm. of that. But, but it just makes it like it a little can bit. It help. It helps, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps. And imagine it too. Uh, More like, than normal welfare. Like I live house. in a, a house, just two other roommates, but our rent is like four hundred dollars. If we each have that much money from just our uh, government stipend of a thousand, I can already think of what I do. I put another two hundred in savings, and then I would invest. I would be a capitalist <laughs> with the money I could. Yeah. I right now my my uh, check to check. I don't invest as much as I'd nearly like to. No, I think we can also, there are these, a lot of sociology papers talking about how to get people out from the lower class in poverty is make them investors. And uh, that's, that's exciting stuff because, I mean, we are projected to grow another, what was it, uh, regardless of this, um, by the, uh, what's the, the Roosevelt Institute, $4 trillion in the next 10 years. So, I mean, if anything, we can be paying into our own economy. Let the capitalists lead the way and let us uh, support them. For sure. So essentially then, 
this is the alternative because I imagine this well, is going the, to require us to. If this is the alternative, what's the null? Like what's happening already? Right. So we have systems that were put into place after the or during the war on poverty, which are the retraining, uh, mm -hmm. which are food stamps, mm -hmm. which are the general basic welfare programs. My question is. Are those going to be scaled back? Are we going to get rid of those? And this is going to replace them? How's that going to work? So he points out that um, existing welfare uh, government spending is 500 to 600 billion. That's a lot. And that it's it will be a sliding scale, just like you say, for condi for conditional um, uh, expectant or what people have been expecting from the government. So like that person uh, that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast who has 300, they would be gradually... Uh, if if they choose, oh yes, next year I want UBI. They, the welfare would be scaled back to the point of non-existence, basically. There, he over time wants to scale down all welfare programs. So what because, about like stuff like Social Security? Um, Social Security, uh, those uh, are different because we made that um, post depression, uh, and it's for end of life care. So I mean, sixty five Medicaid is for the pop, for the poor. I could see that being slashed after a while. But yeah, Medicare, those ones would be down the line yeah. essentially. Medicare would be uh, for six for older population, so it's not uh, too much of a fiscal strain. Uh, they could be managed. So gradually, welfare would be phased out of the economy mm -hmm. by UBI and, and used basically reinserted into UBI. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, to briefly highlight, that's these are the four main points: the value-added tax. So you're getting. Uh, he even said you can tax um, luxury goods. So those people who have conspicuous spending, mega yachts, you could yeah. scale certain um, measurements to charge a bit more for those uh, lines of production. Um, we talk about existing welfare. There are two types of products, actually. If you if you've ever studied economics, hmm. there are normal goods, and then there are inferior goods, and then or yeah, normal goods, inferior goods, and luxury goods. Right. So luxury goods are the only type of goods that, when you increase the price of of luxury goods, the amount of consumption that those goods undergo increases as well. Mm. Like think about that. The more expensive something gets, people buy more of it. Mm -hmm. That's stupid. Yeah. That's why they want to tax it more. Because, like, why not? Go on. You were mentioning about the three different or four different points. Uh, I was going to joke that the AirPods, dude, the AirPods craze. Like, fucking everybody. <laughs> everybody uh, on campus. I see them walking around. Can't even say hello to anybody. They can't hear me. They're wearing AirPods. Um, I think, oh, yeah. Then I said the new revenue, so that the job creations point and then, uh, National GDP gains, and then the back-end savings on healthcare, homelessness, welfare. There's an additional... There's a very nationalistic vibe associated with this as well, Yeah, uh, which yeah. I think American, like, it needs. We do need, because mm -hmm. it, it seems like with the politics and all this ideology, we're being divided by race, we're di being divided by class. I don't like it. Um, yeah, I find it fascinating how when Yang first emerged, I saw articles that were saying that, oh, the alt-right loves this guy. You know, um, everyone loves this guy, bro. It's not just the alt right. Well, that's I mean. the thing. That but people were hesitant because they said, "Ah, yes, the the new alt right uh, <laughs> uh, leader." But when you really take a look at Yang, he's got nothing to do with any of the intersectional politics of of mm. the modern day. And I think that's probably what I appreciate appreciate about him the most is that he's shifting the conversation, uh, sort of like Reagan did um, to these economic issues that mm -hmm. we're facing. 
Because what, what comes with the traditional narrative we've been spoon-fed over the past couple of years is like just conflict. Topic. Yeah, yeah, it's just the hot-button topics that really no one really cares it, about. This is distracting. It's yeah, so like confuse. people's priorities are so messed up mm-hmm. in terms of like, in terms of politics, right? What do people focus on in terms of uh, in terms of poli- in terms of political policy? Um, they're worried about um, gay marriage. That's yeah. one yep, very yep. hot button topic. Abortion. There's gun, another gun violence. Gun violence. Immigration. Immigration. Right. Mm-hmm. What else? Race. Race relations. Race general. relations. Education. Um, and they tie that into race relations. Mm-hmm. Well, education, I think, could be could be tied a lot to the economic stuff mm-hmm. too. Right. Mm-hmm. But basically, my point is that people's priorities are are messed up. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are so many more important issues that need to be discussed. Rather than just these, honestly, these matters are very trivial. Yeah. Okay. Okay. These are moral issues. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my personal opinion on abortion differs from yours, but I'm more focused on, on like a thousand a thousand dollars per month in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Okay. We we need that a lot more for than the just here and now. Yeah. For sure. I don't need to talk about um, I don't need to talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like my opinion on gay marriage and your opinion on gay marriage, it differs, but. Mm-hmm. There's more important issues to there handle. There's more important issues to be discussed, yeah. And there's certainly more things, um, there's better things to get partisan over than mm-hmm. immigration mm-hmm. or um, any of these other issues. Right. You know, the economics really sort of fell out of the public eye, I don't know, back in earliest 2012, people stopped thinking about the economics after... Obamacare. Yeah, no know, one cares about national debt over. anymore. That shit's scary. No, me. nobody's talked about that since 2008. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell people, I'll just say, hey, what about the national debt? And they just shrug their shoulders and say, what about it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, What's his name? Uh, John Maynard Keynes, he said, in the long run, we're all dead. That's so true. basically, just forget about yeah, it. Yeah, like... Well, certainly, what's on my mind constantly is the next economic uh, recession, mm-hmm. when that's gonna gonna pop up. And I'm constantly looking at the stock market, of course, and I see it's rising, and I think to myself, you know, that could just another <laughs> bubble. That could just explode any any time now. And it, and people often forget this is actually the natural progression of, of capitalism. Sometimes, I mean, yeah, this is because obviously humans we we want to build a society in which we all have leisure. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the end goal. Right. Uh, even Peter Schiff says this, like the super capitalist, uh, I don't want minimum wage type of guy mm-hmm. that Peter Schiff is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Human beings, we tend towards leisure. If we can create a situation in which we have our own ATM machine, and like having like have that in the back of our in our, in our basement, mm-hmm. we would take that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this this universal basic income, it's the natural progression. Okay, our society, like our technology and our society has become so great that we can literally just, we don't even have to work anymore. We can just create a machine to feed ourselves. Think about that. This is like almost a very utopic, like, you know, like, praise be to God, that we all have, we live in a society in which we are able to even think about creating, like, uh, so like something to feed ourselves without us even having to work. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, I always remain skeptical of any utopian ideal but but like here it is in front of you, right? Well, when when I look I at something the potential, like this, I think that's what I say. In the potential, yeah. Again, I mean, I don't think I don't actually want it. I don't think I UBI say. will be you know the catch-all that oh, yeah. will solve oh, all no the problems. But no, but I, being able to at least approach it. Well, sure, but what I, what I think that is is most important about this discussion in general and UBI and everything Yang is doing 
is it's it's drawing us away from polarization. Mm -hmm. And polarization certainly is that uh, thorn in our side that is ultimately going to become a big deal yeah. uh, when the economy collapses. Because let's say the economy collapses and we remain just as polarized on these issues of race and immigration as we are nowadays, we're going to eat ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to end up like Weimar Germany, uh, just tearing each other apart. So if a guy like Yang can not only offer a buffer against that next economic crisis, which is coming, but also shift the conversation away, mm -hmm. I say more power to him. Mm. Whether or not UBI is a policy that will actually work, I certainly think it's very, very interesting. And I really, I really like what you guys are saying about it, to be honest. And also, like, uh, a lot of other Yang's policies, he doesn't really even care about it too much. Mm -hmm. Like the issue with LGBT. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, he... What he says regarding LGBT is that he he's in favor of increasing LGBT rights and, and this kind of stuff. Um, but what he does is he changes um, he changes the level of care that he has per issue. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, he changes the levels of importance. He he right. doesn't politically dodge it. He's able to to scale it to a reasonable answer. Right. Yeah, Hey, what do you guys think about, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what do you guys think about the nationalistic element of um, of universal basic income? Because, like, okay, my, parent, my parents were immigrants to the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, they thought of the U.S. as just like a place where just try to make as much money as possible, mm -hmm. buy a house, and then, like, live, live life by yourself. Mm -hmm. But now, with universal basic income, getting a passport doesn't necessarily mean that you just have to pay a massive amount of taxes and that if you make income abroad that you have to pay a massive amount of taxes to a government that doesn't even, like, that you don't even live in their country anymore, mm -hmm. right? Because, like, my parents, they live overseas. They have to pay taxes to the U.S. government for mm -hmm. the income that they make over there, mm -hmm. even though no other country does this, right? And so it makes, um, it makes being American something valuable again. Hmm. And I think it, to the point about um, the focusing on the good issues, I think it gets us out of the mindset of scarcity. Yeah. Uh, and, and we need that to come together with all these other contemporary issues and the cultural war that's been going on. We, I think it'll give us more breathing room to decide who we are as a nation. And I, and I, I mean, I don't want to sound flowery, but I mean, I think it's time we give some like deep, Issues, their, their due day, uh, the due importance and yeah, the due consideration. Exactly, and and for us to define what what it is we're going to be for the next hundred years. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at before. Is you're shifting the conversation away, and what you kind of don't tend to realize is that you're drawing people together. Um, and if you get people together on a under a common policy, uh, and you certainly do spur a sense of nationalism within the people to the extent where. I know that term nationalism is pretty loaded nowadays, mm -hmm. but people... It just means you're proud of being American. Like, it exactly. It makes you happy to be American. Right. And My government helps me out. Mm -hmm. It's not just there to take away taxes from me anymore. Mm -hmm. Sure. And talking about it certainly makes people more uh, aware of that commonality that would exist between uh, their fellow Americans in a time where people aren't considering themselves Americans mm -hmm. anymore. They say... Well, I'm not an American. I'm white, or I'm black, or I'm this religion, mm -hmm. or I'm that religion, and it's, it, you know, gone are the days when people say, you know, I'm an American and I, I'm proud of it. 
uh, I don't see a lot of that anymore. So I really mm-hmm. do, I really do see that aspect to it as well. For sure, man. <laughs> I like that. Where are we at? I'm just curious. Did, what? Oh, 28 minutes. Oh, nice. Well, um, that seems like a, a pretty good cap. I will actually. Let's do the Milton Friedman. I think you'd like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know what Friedman? Milton, he's a so this guy. He was very short. First of all. Um, University, of Chicago, right. <laughs> University of Chicago, University uh, Chicago, founded the University of Chicago Economic School of Thought, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically said that uh, we need to get rid of welfare because welfare is actually destroying communities. Mm-hmm. Um, he has like a very long list of yeah, reasons yeah. why. Okay. I got five. You got five of why welfare destroys communities? Oh uh, no, five of his reasons for UBI. Five of his reasons for UBI. Mm-hmm. Um, he proposed like a negative income tax, so yeah. like to, like a payment to complement other people's incomes. Mm-hmm. You want to elaborate more on that? Uh, you're talking about his point on justice and equality. This the tax treats everyone the same. There's no discrimination. You get your thousand dollars, you're taxed the same by the government. That's yes, absolutely sir. it. And money's money. And uh, that allows for equal opportunity. About all these other things we talked about. Um, you you enable people to work. Uh, for in areas where their skills or services might be undervalued. Um, they avoid the welfare trap. So I have, it, for example, Medicaid waivers. Uh, if you're a certain um, income, you can't get health care, but it's not enough health care to meet your needs. Right, so then people end up doing welfare so that way they can get the health care benefits. Yeah, or but they, then they're kind of stuck in that because yeah. they have to be in that bracket to, mm-hmm. to get the full benefits. So those people who are taking welfare, they're actually a byproduct of the system because they're acting in their most rational. Mm-hmm. They're acting in in their best interest, mm-hmm. which is to get the best deal that they possibly can. Yeah, mm-hmm. it incentivizes them to act the way that the government is subscribing to them, even though that's not necessarily the best course for them. Mm-hmm. So with you, no, actually, yeah, no, for them, if you're. If you have He's saying long term. You're right. you're thinking more short term, and that's why I agree with you. Okay. Sure. Um, but uh, back, I wanted to point out one thing. This is the most common trope: isn't UBI communism and socialism? No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I think that's pretty silly. Yeah. That it's just communism or socialism. Isn't it socialism? Why is it, why is it not socialism? Tell me. Well, because you, what you're doing is you're just creating a. Yeah, the welfare not, state. You're not seizing the means of production um, in that respect. You're not, I mean, it's you higher taxes. Okay. Sure, but you're not, you know, making a massive bureaucracy whereby the government is going to have a bunch of different departments that are going to oversee their operations and their independent initiatives. It's fairly straightforward and minimizes the amount of government uh, co- or <coughs> participation because all you're doing is just taking the money in taxes and giving it back to the people. Like, literally giving it back to that the people. That is socialism, isn't it? Well, socialism is like intense regulation. Right. It is like yeah. the oversight. Communism is that extreme where we all, there's, it's moneyless, we're classless, we all own the means of production. Socialism is 
I have it written here. Core principles is the nationalization of the means of production. Right, right. and and socialism. The, certainly, the the Bernie idea behind it is taxing the rich and giving it to the poor. Mm-hmm. But we just laid out the the policy is not necessarily just oh tax the one percent uh, into submission. No, it's 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 taxing individual uh, industries. And like you were giving that can example, there's just going to be increased taxes on on individual products. And also rolling back a bunch of the other uh, current government. Expenditures. If anything, exactly. that's if anything, that's the exact opposite of "quote unquote" uh, Social, socialism, socialism or communism, right? Yeah. Right. That's uh, that's one aspect to it. And then also, if you claim that UBI is socialist, you're claiming you could similarly claim that Social Security is also socialist or communist, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You could also similarly claim that Medicaid or Medicare or both of them actually mm-hmm. are socialist or communist. Mm-hmm. Right. I kind of see it as a program that isolates the amount of government participation in the economy by offering a poignant uh, moment of stimulation for people where you don't have to get into the slippery slope where you're just enacting more and more mm. initiatives and programs that just aren't working uh, and putting band-aids on problems, you know. And maybe taking this a little bit, uh, sim- same vein, different tangent, is uh, they talk about freedom books. So Freedom books. A uh, hundred bucks. Uh, What's a freedom book? U.S. government would give to you, or if he got into office, that you could only spend towards your candidate. So... You're talking about how um, uh, within the moment people might just spend uh, uh, their money. Uh, you know what? I don't know where I'm going with that. But the Freedom Bucks, uh, the $100, is for any political candidate or um, an action initiative that you have to use that money for. So like it would, it would improve our involvement in politics. Uh, you said somehow listening to you made me think of that, and I wanted to just uh, put that right there. So... Yang would give us money in order to fund the political campaign that we think deserves to be funded. Yeah, so I mean, think about that. If if only if a thousand people put a hundred bucks towards a candidate, we're already now. You can just pay for advertisements and get his name on like the, the Joe Rogan podcast or whatever, right? I I mean I guess theoretically, but the point is there's no more undue influence of business. So that it takes we, it takes the power out of super PACs and prevents crony capitalism. Or yeah, crony. yeah. Um, the possibility of crony capitalism. Uh, that's interesting. And to really, that makes me excited. So um, uh, if you guys want to wrap up, I, I think we covered a pretty good amount. Yeah, certainly, uh, if I could make a few closing sure. remarks, I didn't know a lot about UBI. Obviously, I'm always skeptical towards government programs, uh, but this certainly, the way you guys have laid it out to me, is something that is of great interest and something I'll have to look into. Uh, and certainly, like I said before, I give Yang a lot of credit for bringing the conversation away from the partisanship and the identity politics of the modern day and back towards the more economic, practical issues at hand. And so going forward, I would proudly call myself Yang Gang 2020. Hey, Yang Gang if not, if not for the meme of it, just for the fact that I think he's doing a good thing. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, you can find me at Bally, B-A-L-I, bullet, that's bang, uh, dot com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, same user. You can find me on YouTube, Tom Fogarty 2000 that's spelled as the number. Uh, just put the number, don't don't spell out 2000. And you can find me at American Zabiha on Twitter, A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-Z-A-B-I-H-A. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, boy.